I want to ask you a question. Have you ever wished that you had more faith? Have you ever wished that you had more confidence in God? Maybe you have a little faith envy. You have some friends or some family members or some people that you know that have a lot of faith and, and when they talk about their faith, you think, oh, I wish that I, wish that I had, I wish that I had the, the faith that they have. Maybe you felt that way before. We all need a little faith lift from time to time. I was playing some basketball with my middle school boy this last week, and we got the basketball out of the garage, and I began to dribble, and it was obvious that the ball was very flat. I would bounce, and it would just, you know, fall back down to the ground. And uh, my boy was talking some smack to me, and every once in a while I have to remind him who's the boss when it comes to the basketball court at the Heller household. And it occurred to me that the ball needed to be aired up, not rocket science. You know, it's true that when seasons change, when the weather changes, the pressure in a basketball tends to decrease. So you you have to pump it up uh, in in different seasons. And, And sometimes life is like that. Sometimes there's seasons where our faith needs to be pumped up. Sometimes there's times, there's things that we're going through where we need more faith maybe than we did in another season. Today, I want to pump you up. I want you to join me in Mark chapter 3. We're going to talk about marks of a dynamic faith. We're going to look at one of the greatest stories in the Gospels about the subject of faith. And listen, I know that you need some faith in your life to get through what you're going through. Some of you came to church today because you realize you need more faith. How can we have more faith? When we have more faith, we'll experience more peace, more joy in our life. Our relationships will be better. Um, We'll be happier. We'll stress less. We'll have less anxiety. And things in general will go much, much better for us. So let's look today at this powerful story in Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. If you'll join me there. And I'm going to give you five things related uh, to a dynamic faith. And the first thing that we see is that my faith motivates. My faith motivates. God wants you to have uh, a motivational faith. When you have a confidence in God, you are motivated to do things that honor Him and bring glory to Him. Now, in this story, we find that there is a paralytic. There's a man that hasn't walked in a long time. And the word has spread that Jesus is healing people. Jesus is now in Capernaum. That's the headquarters of his earthly ministry. And Jesus is healing all kinds of people, and people are freaking out, and people are excited, you know. People are hearing Jesus teach, and, and word spreads uh, that Jesus is there. And so, so some friends get their buddy who's a paralytic, and they carry him and bring him to Jesus. Let's see what happens here In Mark chapter 2, verse 2, so many people gathered together, so many people gathered together that there was no more room, not even in the doorway. And he was speaking the message to them, and then came to him bringing a paralytic carried by four men. So, this is what we call a packed house. There's so many people. There's so many folks ready to talk to Jesus and to hear his teaching and to watch the miracles 
that people are, it's like a big mosh pit. This, this little house is completely consumed with people. And the friends can't get their paralytic to Jesus because there's so many folks that are in the way. But these men are extremely, uh, extremely motivated. They are determined that their friend is going to meet Jesus. They run into a problem, but they're determined to get their friend to Jesus. And we'll get to that in just a minute. But I just love the motivation of these friends and, and, and their desire to bring a friend in need to Jesus. You know, for many of us, we would have more faith if we had some better friends in our life. Amen? Yeah. Aren't you thankful for the friends that point you to Jesus? These four men were determined that their friend was going to get to the Son of God. And I wonder what that conversation was like. If, if that paralytic was laying there, maybe in his home, thinking, people are waiting on me all of the time. I feel so bad. I don't want to ask anybody to do anything extra for me. So, so I'll pass. I don't want you guys to have to carry me to go and see Jesus. We don't really know all of the surroundings. We just know that these four men were determined that they were going to do whatever they had to do to get their friend to Jesus. They were motivated. Their faith inspired them to reach out to somebody else who had a need and to help their friend meet Jesus. And it's beautiful. You know, all the way through Mark's gospel, the word faith is tied to action. I think we have the word faith mentioned a handful of times in Mark's gospel, but it's always tied to doing. Like in Mark chapter 4, verse 40, um, Jesus calms the storm, and the disciples are in the boat, and Jesus says, why do you not have faith? In other words, faith is the thing that's calming the storm. And then a chapter later in Mark chapter 5, there's a woman that's been bleeding for many, many years, and she sneaks up on Jesus and touches the hem of his garment, and Jesus turns around and, and asks who touched him because the Bible says that power went out of him. The woman was immediately healed and Jesus commended this woman for her faith. It's beautiful how faith and actions go together. When faith is our motivation, we will do things that we would not do otherwise. And uh, over in Mark chapter 11... Jesus instructs the disciples regarding uh, the moving of mountains through faith. Uh, in Mark chapter 10, verse 52, Jesus heals a blind man because of his faith. If we want to see our faith flourish, it requires action, and our faith should be the thing that motivates us. When you really believe it, yeah, faith is the thing that helps us and compels us to action. What actions are you taking today based on faith? Faith will motivate you to do things that you would never do otherwise. It will push you to do things that are outside of the normal parameters of what you feel comfortable with. Why am I doing this? Because I have faith. So maybe you're staying in a conflicted marriage because you have faith. Or you're praying about something over and over and over again and you want to give up but you can't because you have faith. You are still hopeful even though circumstances say otherwise. Or you're doing hard things because you have faith. You came to church this morning because you have faith. 
Faith is the greatest motivator in the world. And faith is the thing that keeps us moving and keeps us going even when we feel discouraged and things are not turning the right direction for us. Uh, One of my favorite movies is the Fantastic Four. Do we have any Fantastic Four fans here? Yeah, I mean, some people are proud in the back. I love that. Yeah, people are like, oh, that's me. Yeah. Well, the story of the Fantastic Four is the superheroes, and I just love superheroes. And uh, these friends steal a rocket, and they go into outer space, and they get some, some amount of radioactivity, and so they become the Fantastic Four. So <clears throat> you've got the thing who's almost like the Incredible Hulk, but he's got the really thick skin and the big muscles, and he's the muscle guy. You've got Mr. Fantastic that's the stretchy guy. They can bend and contort his body into all kinds of different, different ways to accomplish different tasks. You've got the invisible woman. Uh, you've got the human torch. And it's, it's a fantastic story because the Fantastic Four all work together. I mean, they, they, they don't all have the same abilities. When somebody needs to block a bullet... Or they're taking fire, you know, they've got the human torch. When they need strength, they have the thing. Whenever they need somebody to be sneaky, they have the invisible woman. And, and, and all four of these individuals work together for one common purpose and one, one great outcome. You know, we need those kind of friends in our lives. The scripture tells us that, that this paralytic had four friends And these four friends were pointing this man in need to Jesus. They were pointing him to Jesus. We need a fantastic four. Who's your four? Who's your four? Who are you pointing to Jesus? Who's pointing you to Jesus? Who's helping you? There's three traits of faith-filled friends. Number one, they're optimistic. They believe that anything is possible with God. They are creative. They will do things that we would never think of before, and they're determined. And we're going to see that as this story unfolds a little bit more. That is the mark of a great friend right there. That, that should be part of our fantastic four, optimistic, creative, and determined. But there's a problem. What do these men do now that Jesus is busy? Jesus is He's got this crowd around him. They can't get the paralytic to Jesus. And the, the folks are disappointed. Wait a second. We made all these promises to our buddy that Jesus was going to heal him. Faith isn't supposed to go this way. You know, I wonder if these four friends thought, we're going to get him to Jesus. The heavens are going to open Doves are going to descend. The sun is going to come out. The angels are going to sing. Our friend is going to jump up. He's going to do a dance. There's going to be a party, a celebration. It's going to be amazing. Sometimes faith doesn't go that way. Sometimes faith takes a curve, doesn't it? We had all this expectation. And this didn't go the way that it was supposed to. But what do they do? Do they give up? Do they go home? No, check it out. In verse 4, since they were not able to bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof 
above where he was. And when they had broken through, they lowered the stretcher on which the, para, uh, the paralytic was lying. They're like, okay, the door is jammed. Let's just remove the roof. I mean, are these some great friends? Don't you love this? I don't know if you've ever been at this point in your faith where you're like, can we do that? <laughs> you know? A few years ago, I was talking to a pastor friend of mine about some problems that, that, that I was experiencing and he gave me some really great advice. And my response was, can you do that? And he was like, yes. It turned out to be the greatest counsel I've ever received. I'm like, whoa, sometimes you just need people to blow your mind. Amen? Can we do this? The answer is yes. Yes. Maybe the door is closed, but the skylight is open. Don't you give up? Don't you give up? So what does faith do? Well, my faith persists. My faith persists. It, 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 it motivates me, but it persists. And these men dig a hole in the roof. Now, in the ancient world, um, the, the, the roof was a place where people hung out. That was kind of like where you had dinner and you hung out with your friends and all that. And there was usually an external staircase and so the men probably went up the external staircase, and the roof was generally made of wooden cross beams, dirt, and palm branches. And, and so they go up there, and they just start digging, you know, the hole. And it had to be a pretty good-sized hole to get this guy through it, right? Because they don't want to dump him off the stretcher, right? So, so I mean, this, 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 takes some, this takes some engineering. This takes some ingenuity. This takes some... Some cleverness, some tenacity. That is one way to get Jesus' attention, amen? Right? I mean, Jesus is teaching, and there's a guy coming through the ceiling, and he's going to come right on top of him. You know, I mean, is there anything better than that? It's pretty fantastic, isn't it? Faith persists. Faith persists. You know, one of the great, one of the great reasons that we should never give up when it comes to our faith is because Jesus Jesus was always doing things that people thought were impossible. Like, I'm thinking about John chapter 11 when Jesus finds out his friend Lazarus is dead or is sick. And he, he's, he's got his ministry going in another town. And the friends are sending word, Jesus, come help Lazarus. And La Lazarus is a good friend of Jesus. Jesus cares about Lazarus. But Jesus delays and when Jesus gets to the home of Lazarus, his sisters are like, hey, buddy, this is all on you. He's been dead for three days. The, the, the King James Version of the Bible says his body stinketh. I mean, come on now. Like, like he is deader than dead. Jesus did not see limitations. Jesus is like, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus is raised from the dead. You see, with faith, th there are no limits. I, it it kind of reminds me over in the book of Exodus, when the children of Israel are leaving uh, Pharaoh, and instead of leaving the direction that they should go to, to get away from Pharaoh, God leads them to a dead end, and the dead end is the Red Sea, okay? How many of you know that's a bad dead end, okay? That's not good. There's no bridges, there's no pontoon boats. I mean, it's, it's not good. They're, they're, they're toast. 
But it's in that moment, what happens? Moses, he parts the Red Sea. How much would it begin to change our life if we began to look at our circumstances with the eye of faith? With God, all things are possible. We, we, we tend to think that God has one solution. In fact, God, I'm going to tell you what the solution is. It's this, and it needs to be done by this time, and it needs to be put in this box. And, and, and God, can you hurry up? Because it should have been yesterday. And, and God just doesn't work that way. God is out of the box. God is an out-of-the-box God. And I love these friends that obviously God was directing them, and they're like, oh, okay, the door's jammed. Let's just take the roof off, you know? You're like, okay, okay, I love this. This is good. Faith meets a closed door, but there's always an open, there's always an open window or an open roof. Um, I love to tell the story. I've told it before, but I've got to tell it again. We're sitting today in one of those roof-like moments. When we started our church a few years ago in our living room, the Bible study was growing and we needed a school to meet in. So I went to, I went to five different schools and I met the principals because you have to get the principal's permission to meet in one of the schools in our school district. And four of the principals said, we don't want a church here, you know? But one principal said yes. And one morning I was so discouraged. I was praying about this. I'm like, I was told no 80% of the time. I was like, that's discouraging. What's wrong with these people? You know, that's what I'm thinking. And it was like the Holy Spirit spoke to me that morning, Ryan, you can only meet in one school. All you need is one school. And I'm like, yeah, but I feel rejected. <laughs> so we met in that one school. And we outgrew that school. It was, a it was literally the smallest elementary school gym you've ever seen before. So small. We had two services. We needed a bigger school. So for three months... I'm praying with some of our leaders. We're praying for three months. God, we need a bigger school. And one morning, the lady from the school district emails me a one-line email, Ryan, are you ready for a bigger school? I'm like, that's crazy because I've never told this lady I need a bigger school. And I'm, I'm like, you know, emailing back. I'm like stumbling over myself trying to say yes, you know. And I, so I send her an email back, and she says, well, meet me over at Liberty Middle School at this time, I'm going to introduce you to the principal. So I emailed her back, and I said, listen, I met that principal, and he was not very friendly, and he was not very excited about us having our church there. And I'm thinking, she just doesn't know what she's talking about. She emails back. She says, oh, there's a new principal there, and I already talked to him, and they're really excited about hosting you. I was like, whoa, that was my jam door, was I've already been told no. Now, it's two years later. Sometimes God just needs a little time to get, to get some people out of the way. Amen? Yeah. So the, the new principal's there, and we walk in, and he's like, Ryan, we'd love to host a church. And our church grew a lot in that school. It was awesome. Some of the greatest days of our church were over at that, that smelly middle school. It was, it was fantastic. And God opened a window. God opened the roof for us to meet at the middle school. It was a closed door before. I had already spoken with that principal. Now things are different. Okay. Well, then we start praying about having a permanent facility. 
and um, it was closed door after closed door after closed door. We, we had a, uh, an agreement over at the Southland Shopping Mall. We had a signed contract. The owners of the shopping center sell the uh, shopping center to another group, and they don't want a church there, and they have the right to reject our offer. So we've put all this time, all this money into renovating a 20,000-square-foot building at the Southland Shopping Mall. We're all excited. We've told our church. Everybody's pumped. Everybody wants to go shopping and go to church, you know. It's fired up. Um, and that door closes. Right before that, though, we had a, we had a church in Parker that was going to give us their building. And when you're a startup church and when you office out of your trunk, you're, like, really excited about that. You know, you're like, amen. You know, it's 15,000 square feet. It's in the east part of Parker, like the part of Parker that nobody goes to, like where nobody knows where it is, like that part of Parker. But we were so pumped. And we announced it to our church, we're going to do that. Well, that pastor at the last second decided he didn't want to do the deal, and, and that deal fell through. So now we have the church in Parker that was going to give us the building. That's a closed door. Then the, the deal at Southland's closed door. All right, so what are we going to do? Well, We've already put offers on this building. We've already talked about this building. Somebody else has got this under contract. Well, that contract falls through. And guess what? There we are, and the church that built this building needed to get rid of the building, and it was the perfect timing. And God opened a beautiful, a beautiful roof for us to come and to have this. Is that awesome or what? Is that fantastic? Yeah. And so sometimes we see the closed doors and, and we get discouraged because we think that maybe God's not with us or that God doesn't care or that God's not listening or that, you know, it, it isn't supposed to go this way. But, but maybe that's just part of God's ultimate plan. Our building here is three times bigger than the building in Parker and it's twice as big as the one at the Southland Shopping Center and it's in a much better location. That was just all part of the plan of God, you know. You can't get discouraged. You can't quit just because things haven't been going right. Just because you got a closed door, that doesn't mean God, God's abandoned you. It just means God's taken you in another path. There's just something different that's there. Closed doors don't mean God's not there. Closed doors mean God is opening up other opportunities. So maybe one relationship ended, but maybe God has something else for you. Or maybe you lost your job, but God's, God's got someplace else for you to work. That's just part of it. Um, faith persists. When you believe God, you will keep moving and keep doing what he's called you to do even when you don't see the answers that you desire. But faith also reconciles. And I want you to see what Jesus does with this man. Here in Mark chapter 2, verse 5, seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Okay, so Jesus is going to heal the guy. Okay, I don't want to ruin the story. Jesus is going to heal the guy. But before that, he says, your sins are forgiven. That's where Jesus started. Jesus didn't say, well, get up, paralytic. He says, your sins are forgiven. And it's kind of an interesting uh, beginning to, to this conversation that Jesus has with the paralytic. Jesus was touched by the five men's faith, but the paralytic had his sins forgiven. So Jesus, is, it says their faith. Do you see that? 
So Jesus is moved not just by the paralytic's faith, but he's also moved by the friend's faith. That's why you need to always have people praying in agreement with you and praying with you and for you, okay? Because Jesus is moved when he sees their faith. And he says, when your sin, he says, your sins are forgiven. Now, Jesus is dealing with the core of this man's heart. He starts with the inner part of this guy. He's going to get to the physical problems, but he's starting with the spiritual, with the interior stuff. And see, a lot of our problems are, are, are manifested in the exterior, but they start in the interior. Okay, They start in the heart. So on the surface, we have problems, but the problems sometimes are caused from the heart. So maybe you're having marriage conflicts on the surface, but below the surface, there's a problem with anger and selfishness, and it's called sin. Or on the surface, you're depressed, but below the surface, you're depressed because you have an addiction and you have a wound. And and so what you're asking God to do is to deal with the external, but God's wanting to start with what's on the inside because what's on the inside is reflected on what's on the outside. Do you see it? So Jesus says your sins are forgiven. And God forgives sins so that we can live in freedom. We don't have to beat ourselves up. Sometimes we are the worst critics of ourselves. We, 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 we punch ourselves. We look in the mirror in the morning. We think, I can't believe that I did that. I said I would never do that. And I did it anyway. Maybe you've had some moments like that. And we feel frustrated in our spiritual life. And it diminishes our faith because we feel like God doesn't care about us. We feel separated from God. But accepting God's forgiveness allows us to forgive ourselves. So when Jesus says to this man, your sins are forgiven, he is setting this man free. He's liberating this man. He's saying, listen, um, Bad decisions don't rule you. Your bad, de- your bad choices don't have to determine the complete trajectory of your life. Your sins are forgiven. And we need Christ to forgive our sins. That's the message of the gospel is that we were sinful and yet God loved us anyway by sending his son to die and to rise from the grave. The psalmist said in Psalm 103, verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. Romans says there is no condemnation in Christ. And a lot of times we want God just to fix the surface stuff, but we don't want him to touch the internal stuff because that's where the hard work really begins. But to get the outward stuff in order, we have to start with the heart. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Listen today, Jesus will forgive your sins if you will come to him by faith. But my faith also is provocative. It provokes. Now you would think everybody there watching Jesus interact with this man, forgiving his sins, and in just a few verses he's going to heal this guy, you would think people would be pumped. Like if you saw somebody in a wheelchair at the mall, and all of a sudden they got up and started walking, would you be excited for that person? Like, most human beings would be like, that is amazing, that's super, way to go, that's that's incredible. 
But you know what? It doesn't always work that way. Not everybody's excited about your miracle. Look at this verse right here. Right away, Jesus understood in his spirit that they were reasoning like this within themselves. And he said to them, why are you reasoning these things in your hearts? Now, he's talking about the scribes, the Jewish religious leaders. Verse 9, which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, pick up your stretcher and walk. But so you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He told the paralytic, I tell you, get up, pick up your stretcher, and go home. So Jesus heals the man physically to prove to the cynics that he really is the Son of God. Now, if you back this up a little bit and look at the context, the scribes and the Pharisees were always following Jesus around trying to find fault with them. These were the guys that were the Jewish religious leaders. They, they knew the writings of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy backwards and forward. They knew the oral tradition of the Jewish law. These guys, these guys were scholars, they were intellectuals, and they, didn't, they did not like anybody coming in and doing something new or that was beyond their control. And Jesus is so out of the box they're like, we don't know what to do with you. You must be the devil. And so they're constantly trying to find fault. And so when Jesus says, your sins are forgiven, they're thinking in their mind, only God can forgive sins. Who's this guy? This is Jesus of Nazareth, but only God can forgive sins. So why would you even say that? They equate this with blasphemy. And in Leviticus chapter 24, blasphemy is worth stoning. So this is why the guys are upset. And Jesus is perceiving their thoughts. Okay, now, you want to talk about the omniscience of Jesus, the deity of Jesus. This is one of the reasons that we know that Jesus is God. is because he knows people's thoughts even before they're spoken. But this doesn't impress them. They're not worried about that. They're not thinking about that. Jesus knows my thoughts, and he's healing people. Maybe he does have the authority to forgive sins. That's not, that's not the mindset. But Jesus, to prove his point, he says, he asked, he asked two questions. But one of the questions is, is it, a, is it a bigger miracle to forgive sins or to raise a paralytic? And the guys are thinking to themselves, well, anybody can go around saying your sins are forgiven. I mean, come on, you know, I mean, like, how do you really prove that? You know, what does that mean? And Jesus says, well, you know what? I will prove it. I'm going to prove it because this guy is about to get up. So Jesus does a physical miracle to teach a spiritual point. And the spiritual point that he's bringing to light is that God needs to forgive sins. That sins are forgiven by Jesus. But these guys are not buying it. And faith is provocative. No, listen, if you live by faith... People will criticize you. If you live by faith, people will think you're nuts. Some of you have family members and friends, and they're like, why are you going to that church? Why are you giving that money? Why do you send your kids to camp? Why do you raise your children this way? Why do you believe this? Why do you act like that? Come on, man. What's wrong with you guys? Faith is provocative. 
And if you really live out a faith, a, a genuine faith in Jesus, there will always be people that are not cheering you on, but are questioning you and think that you're odd. And Jesus gives all of the evidence. I mean, come on now. Guys, if you saw somebody, somebody raised that was a paralytic, would that get your attention? I mean, you would think. But you know what? Jesus spoke, he taught, and he did miracles before tons of people that didn't believe. So that alone is not, that alone is not the thing that, 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 that changes people's hearts. Now, Jesus was, was always trying to, to, to push people towards his message, not towards his miracles. His miracles just revealed his message, but Jesus was not a circus. Jesus was not an entertainer. Jesus healed people because he was trying to teach people spiritual truths and points. But what we see here is that faith is provocative. It's provocative. And... You know, a few, a few years ago, uh, somebody cornered me after the service, and they were like, the music is too loud, you know? And uh, I, think, I think our sound guy that morning got a little filled with the spirit, and he was pumping the volume a little bit, and it was a little loud. Okay, it was. But, but this person, like, literally, like, I mean, they were like, they would turn beat red. They were so upset, and, you know, the music is too loud, you know? And I was like, you know what? It was a little loud today. That's true. But I was like, you know what? Five people gave their lives to Jesus. Three people got baptized. Our youth ministry is growing. New people are coming to the church every day. This is awesome. And they're like, but the music is too loud. And you're like, do you want to open your eyes and just see what God is doing? Do we have the spirit of the scribes where we get fixated on one thing and we miss the message? That's why Edge Church is a church that's always about reaching the people. We're always about reaching folks. We're always about helping people. And we're not going to get all bent out of shape if the music's too loud. Look what God is doing. People's sins are being forgiven. God is at work. Let's keep the main thing the main thing. And, you know, we've had a setback the last year or two with all the corona stuff. Our attendance at our church has gone down, as it's true across the country in every church. But our church has been hard hit by that. But listen, we're not going to stop doing what God wants us to do. There's too many people to reach. And I'm challenging you to look at your schedule and to look at your priorities and to say, listen, I want God to work in my life. I want to be a person that has incredible faith. I want to be in the house of God. I want to quit being paranoid and, 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 and so uptight about everything else going on in the world that, that, that I forget about the worship of Jesus. Man, let's don't get distracted. Let's, let's, let's keep the main thing the main thing. Because when we do that, we'll praise God. Look at this, how this story wraps up there in verse 12. Immediately he got up, he picked up the stretcher, and he went out in front of everyone. And as a result, they were all astonished and gave glory to God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Oh, I guess so. 
I guess so. Can I just say this to you guys? When you live by faith, you will say with the people, we have never seen anything like this before. There's two ways you can live. You can live for yourself. You can do everything in your own power. You can do it your own way. You can do it God's way. You can live by faith. If you will live by faith, you will say, we have never seen anything like this before. I didn't think this was possible. I didn't think I could change. I didn't think things could get better. I never thought that I would have fill in the blank. When you trust the Lord, you will say, I have never seen anything like this before. And that will cause us to praise him. And two groups of people are looking at the same miracle and they have two totally different conclusions. You have the cynics, the scribes, the skeptics, and you have the people that are flipping out, that are excited, that are positive, that are full of faith, and are expecting God to do great things. And the folks were looking at the same miracle, but they came to two totally different conclusions. I wonder what conclusion you're going to come to. Are you going to be a person that lives by faith? Are you going to be a person that gives glory to God? The opportunity is yours. You can have as much faith as you desire to have. And from time to time, your faith goes flat. Sometimes we go through seasons where our faith needs to be pumped up. But we have a great opportunity to say yes to God and to believe everything that he has for us in the days ahead. Would you join me in prayer?